Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Martin Warner, Managing Director of Home Instead Senior Care. Well, it's great to have you along today, wherever you may be listening to this podcast. And I'm looking forward to today's podcast because this is a bit different from my usual guests in that Martin, rather than being a C-suite executive with a major corporate, is instead a very successful business owner. And he came out of a corporate style background, but has gone on to have a very successful career, starting a franchise and then growing that franchise over the last 11 years in quite a unique industry. But anyway, we'll come to Martin's conversation when I introduce him properly to you in a moment. Firstly, for those people who aren't familiar with me, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior executives and non-executive directors for our clients across Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for senior executives and non-executive directors looking to find a new role. So if you're actively looking for a new role or you're looking for executive recruitment services, then I'd welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. Feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn or the Arate website. Anyway, let's get on now and introduce to you Martin Warner. Martin Warner graduated with a Bachelor of Science from North London University in 1985 and began a career in hospitality management before specialising in franchising. Martin and his wife Sarah migrated from the UK with their family to Australia in 1986, where Martin was involved in the establishment and development of a number of different franchised businesses both in Australia and overseas. He has qualifications in institutional management and health services management and is a member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Martin and his wife, Sarah, established Home Instead Senior Care in Australia in 2005, which they have subsequently grown over the last 11 years to 24 franchises operating across Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Martin Warner. Martin, welcome to the Arate podcast. Fantastic to have you along today. And for the benefit of the people who are listening in, perhaps just start by telling us a little bit about your current range of professional responsibilities. Thanks, Richard. Um, I'm the owner of a company called Home Instead Senior Care. So um, I founded Home Instead Senior Care here in Australia with my wife, Sarah, um, 11 years ago. Okay. And fundamentally, I'm the... Uh, as the leader of our network of franchises around the country, and we have 24 offices right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's my role, is really to take the vision of, of this organization forward, um, along with the support of the franchise owners, because it's not just me, it's sure. very much working with all these people who uh, are stakeholders in our business. Great, and, uh, and so uh, what's Home Instead all about then? Yeah. What we do is we provide um, 
care to older people in their own home. So we're very much a non-medical provider. We're not about nursing services. It's very much about non-medical services. And so we're a national provider across mm -hmm. Australia. We're in pretty much all states, not quite yet in Canberra okay. or Northern Territory, but uh, um, we're very much about providing care to people in their own home. And it's very much about focusing upon older people's needs. So it's for seniors, uh -huh. hence the name. And it's about looking after them in the way they want to be looked after as they age. So one of the things which I'd like to talk about at some stage is about you know, how we see ourselves wanting to change what we call changing the face of aging, okay. which was really about understanding what that means and how we can make a difference in people's lives. Um, so we're, we're very much about relationships and companionship for okay. seniors. Great. Well, we can certainly uh, come back to that. So what are some examples of the type of services you provide to your clients then? Uh, primarily, we provide personal care and what we call home helper services. Mm -hmm. So this is assistance for people in their what we call activities of daily living, how they can get through their, their, uh, their day and their lives as they get older. But uh, also a lot of other services around the home, such as meal preparations and light housekeeping. Um, incidental transport, we take them to appointments, we run errands for them, we prepare meals. Uh, there's a whole range of services that we provide and it really it's, comes down to what a client or what the family sure. is, what of that client really uh, wants and need to stay independent in their own home. Because that's a key thing, most of the surveys you'll find really come up with a number that 90% of seniors as they get older want to remain living in their own home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's often overlooked. We tend to think uh, the default positions tend to be, well, mum and dad are getting old, they're going to have to move into a retirement village or residential facility or whatever. But in reality, there's far, far more people who actually want to remain living independent in their own home. Mm -hmm. Because that's uh, where all their memories, their sure. family you know, history is and so on, and that's the way it is. Well, I know my grandma uh, remained living on her own, in her own home until she was 97. Wow. And uh, when she finally, you know, got uh, to the point where she needed, a, you know, a high care, um, mm -hmm. she was very, very sad to have to go into a facility and she hated every second of it. So uh, I've, I've lived this experience. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you said you started the business 11 years ago. What got you into this? Um, was it purely, did you see the commercial opportunity or were there other drivers that got you into this line of work? Good question. There's a number of drivers here, actually, that um, I was um, involved in uh, my background as hospitality, which moved me into franchising, and uh, I became quite involved in the franchising industry and understood how, how that worked. Mm -hmm. And um, I've uh, ended up actually running my own franchise consultancy. Okay. And uh, with a number of organisations. And at the same time, my wife, Sarah, was actually running her own consultancy as well. Right. So we were running parallel out of, the, uh, out of our house. And she was uh, consulting with the federal government in terms of uh, IT solutions for residential care. Okay. And together we were running uh, these two consultancies, but we actually both had a desire to run what you perhaps want to call a more substantial business. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of Sarah's research, she was, uh, she's, was uh, going through the newspapers as she does every day, and she came across um, an article, an article advertisement for Home Instead, um, looking for 
somebody to actually um, run the franchise, set up the franchise here in Australia. Okay. And at that time, and still are actually, the uh, primary carers for my mother, who is disabled, and she lives in a uh, independent home, mm-hmm. very close to us, but we are the primary carers for her. I had also, at that time, started my master's um, qualification in health services management, which right. gave me a much broader view of the health system and the, that entire area. And we looked at it and we said, oh, I think we can do this. It's franchising, which we had experience in. It's in the you know, health-related area, which mm-hmm. we both understood very well. Mm-hmm. And we're primary carers for my mother. Right. So we said, this is what we can do. It kind of has our name on it. So we... Um, Pursued that with Homestead Senior Care over in uh, in the US. Right. And um, one thing led to another. We met up with them here in uh, in Australia when they came over to uh, seek franchisors. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we kind of got through it all. And right. So um, we were really, I think, wanting to be involved in something which we wanted to be what we consider a substantial business, but also something particularly which had meaning to it. Right. We'd both come from a corporate background. Um, we understood how businesses worked, but I think uh, our own values are such that we wanted to make a difference in running our own business. Okay. And this really gave us the opportunity because the very nature of looking after seniors in their own home, um, the compassion, the understanding required, the relationships you can build, um, really, I think, um, you know, is at the heart of what we do. No, that's it, it was a great mix. Sure. It really w- was a really good fit for us. Well, we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk a lot more about that. Uh, I think it's interesting because uh, I obviously meet with uh, very senior executives and you have people who are working in the corporate uh, environment and they want to get into consulting. You've got people who are in consulting who want to get back into corporate. And then you have people who want to get out and, and try running their own business. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's great to have you on because it rarely perhaps do people even consider that uh, taking a franchise or becoming the franchisor for, for Australia is a viable way to uh, utilise all of their professional experience and education uh, and go down you know, quite a different career route. So uh, I think in that regard you've probably got some really interesting lessons to share about you know, some of your good and uh, perhaps uh, your other learning experiences. Mm-hmm. But um, before we get to that, so why don't you talk to us about where it all began, you know, where you were born and your early life, um, you know, your parents and siblings and early schooling. Hmm. I grew up uh, in London, the western suburbs of London, in a place called Ryslip. And um, I had my early life there. My school um, was in uh, West London. And um, what happened was that I actually had a great upbringing, great family, very fortunate. Were your parents in business or what did they do? No, they weren't. Um, They were employed. Right. And... um, so uh, they were from the, uh, they grew up just after the, um, they grew up in the sort of uh, 30s and 40s as right. they, they were born. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were, we led a very suburban little life mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. We just right. loved it. And so what happened was that when I, uh, I went to grammar school in, uh, in the West London, and then uh, after that, uh, you know, what's what I, one of the really interesting was one of the things is that I didn't quite know what to do. 
after I left school. And, you know, I grew up thinking, once you leave school, this is your career path. Right. And in reality, um, it, it just isn't. For some people it is, but for many people it really isn't. And so I, uh, I started in architecture and uh, I have a, I think, you know, I've learned that I've actually a little bit of a, I like to be creative. It doesn't mean I'm good at art or anything like that, but I want to build things. Yeah. And so what happened was that um, that lasted a year and I don't think I was mature enough actually going straight from school to study architecture. Right. I don't think I was mature enough. So I went and worked in an architect's firm in London, loved it. And then um, realised I didn't actually then want to study for seven years. So you went and worked as a cadet or something like that? Yeah, I did. I right, did. OK. And, um, and that was great, but I just didn't really want to put seven years mm. of my life into studying. So I worked in uh, a number of organisations. And uh, then uh, when I was about 25, decided to come to Australia. Right. where my brother lived and just for, uh, you know, two months to stay over here, right. perhaps longer. You know, go walk about really. So those uh, years pre-25 were just doing a bunch of odd jobs, uh, clerical type things. Yeah, they were. They, okay. uh, fundamentally right. You know, right. In, okay. in, um, uh, where I lived, there was a number of good organisations you could work for and okay. I was fortunate there. And what brought your brother to Australia? Um, he, uh, he was a hippie. He still okay. is a hippie. All right. <laughs> and he stowed away on a Russian boat and landed in Darwin. All right. And uh, in those days, which would have been crikey, that would have been back in the uh, late 70s or whenever it was, um, you know, if you stow away and you, you, you ended up on a beach in Darwin, they, you know, the local people come round and say, or the police come round, so you can't be sleeping on the beach. We've got to get you sorted out and give you some food and right. money and things like that. And he ended up marrying an Australian uh, girl and um, basically had children and lived here for the right, rest okay. of his life. Right. And so what happened was my parents used to come out here mm-hmm. um, every year as it happened uh, in years later on. And um, they ended up migrating as well. Okay. So they um, sold up lock, stock and barrel in the UK and uh, that's what happened to them. So oh, Very good. So you came for two months? Yep. Okay. And then I went back. I had some, uh, you know, wonderful other positions, you know, right. great organisations and uh, doing a lot of exhibition work and relationship building and in the publishing industry. I was very fortunate. And um, then it got to a point where I thought, I can't keep just going from job to job. I, I need to find something a bit more stable. So I think I was 25 at the time, and um, I thought, look, I've been doing the last three years working in a lot of, uh, uh, around the country in England. Mm -hmm. I stayed in hotels for literally six months of the year, visiting people, relationship building, exhibition work, and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. I thought, I I just love hotels and restaurants. I'm going to get involved in the hospitality industry. Right. And so how old would you have been by this day? Uh, 25. Six, I think I may have just turned right. 26. Okay, yeah. And so what happened then was that I thought, no, I need to get some a qualification behind me, something solid. So I ended up uh, spending four years in, uh, in the North London University studying what they called institutional management. So okay. that's really catering for large, very large organisations, mm-hmm. hospitals, universities, prisons, large okay. corporations. It's very large-scale catering. And, um, but it was a, a Bachelor of Science degree? It was a Bachelor of Science, that's right, right yes. Okay. So it was focused on nutrition, physiology okay. and such like, yeah. food science. 
And um, I, I just loved it. It was the best four years of my life in a way because it was, um, firstly, in those days, the government used to pay for your studies and right. also pay for your um, rent and living uh, wow. needs. And it was quite extraordinary. Those good old days. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and Sarah, I, I married one year into that degree, so I got married to Sarah then, and she was working, and so I was studying, and we lived in a... Um, we managed to get some funds together to buy a flat in uh, North London. Right. And, um, yeah, we had a great time. And uh, then after the college, it was a case of, um, well, okay, let's start getting into the industry. Right. Which, uh, which I did. I went and uh, ran a, uh, a restaurant um, for a large corporation in uh, Cambridge. Okay. Um, which was, again, just a, a great experience. It's like a, um, it's called Old Orleans. It's like a very much a, a cocktail bar. The place to be in town is buzzing. It was alive. It was um, you know, all the university students. It was right. the, the dons from the university. Okay. And uh, I, I remember Stephen Hawking coming into a really? restaurant one night. Yes, you know, with an entourage of people supporting him. Right. You know, big event. Yeah, big sure, event. absolutely. Yeah. And so, how long did you do that for? Did that for nine months. Okay. And then, um, very demanding. And um, living in Cambridge was great, but uh, um, there's another position came up running a, a chain of restaurants or mm -hmm. an area of restaurants. So that got me involved in the, the pizza industry. Okay. And um, then, so I ran uh, in a number of uh, restaurants around the. Uh, Oxford and Windsor, that whole area on the um, on the uh, west side of London, and um, did that for just over a, a year. And um, Sarah and I decided that um, we would like to go and visit my parents in Australia. Oh, they'd already moved here by then. They'd moved right, there, okay. so I've been there about three years. Okay. And we decided to go and visit them in Australia and suspend, uh, you know, a year or two working, right. and then come back. And um, so uh, we rented out our house and moved across to Australia. And um, I was fortunate enough to get a position in those days with Pizza Hut. Okay. And it was in the days when home delivered pizzas had started, just started. And I remember I went to the interview and I was used to pizza restaurants. And they said, well, we're setting up this home delivery. And I said, how does that work? What do you mean home delivered pizzas? I don't get it. How does it work? Right. And um, they said, well, what we do is we have them put them into a bag and they drive them to someone's home. I thought, oh, wow. And now that's commonplace now, but believe me then, it sure. was like, huh? Well, I Very actually innovative. had uh, Tom Potter, the founder of Eagle Boys Pizza, on the podcast uh, recently. I've known Tom for some time, and, I mean, he was sort of fairly early into that whole industry, but it's, uh, it's a big business now, isn't it? Mm, indeed, I remember time in those days. Right, <laughs> and uh, yes, it is a it's a big a big business. And so, what was your role with Pizza Hut then? Oh, well, I was setting up a lot of the home delivered home delivery operations actually in Sydney. So okay. my first job was to move. We we migrated to Brisbane where my parents live, and I got offered a position in Sydney. And you know, coming from the UK, it seemed like well, that's easy. We can just move to Sydney. Right, it's not far away, really. You know. Yeah. Um, and so we, um, it was down in Sydney that I started to open up all the um, home-delivered operations uh, in Sydney. So it was one unit after another after another. And so was Silvio's or 
you know, uh, Eagle Boys and so on around then, or Pizza Hut were right at the front of the queue in that regard? Uh, they were pretty similar. Um, Silvio's may have started beforehand. Okay. I think Eagle Boys, I'm pretty certain, started afterwards. Right. Okay. And they started, they certainly started in the more regional areas, then moved into That's the, right. the capital yeah. cities. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're in Sydney? Yeah, and we were in Sydney for um, a year. And um, it's quite difficult because we had a, uh, a young son who, when we migrated to Australia, was only um, six months old. Right. So talk about a challenge. Um, and um, it kind of wasn't really working out at a personal level for us. So we thought, well, look, um, we might. Um, it's got very expensive as well. Back in the uh, late 80s, was very expensive sure. for us. So we thought, well, perhaps we'll move back to Brisbane. We needed family support, and then we'll mm -hmm. head back to the UK. But we moved back to Brisbane. And suddenly life changed because the uh, cost of uh, accommodation was much lower. We had family support. Um, in, in suddenly life took on a different complexion. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to stay in Brisbane. Um, Pizza Hut were very kind. They offered me a position back in uh, Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, life suddenly was really very good. Okay. And uh, suddenly we begin to appreciate living right. in Australia rather than just worrying about everything all the yeah, time sure. you know, and how we make ends meet. My parents immigrated to Australia from England as well and had two years in Sydney before moving to Brisbane. Uh, I'm sorry, a big part now, a little longer than that. But I, I think that was not uncommon for people to get to Sydney first and go, oh, there's... Uh, cheaper places to live uh, mm. and Brisbane was a big draw card in that regard back then for sure. Mm. So the career was going well for me then, uh, being promoted and then um, a couple of years later they said to me would you like to go back to Sydney? Right. So um, we'd only just built a house in Brisbane and I had to sort of reveal to Sarah that I've been offered a promotion and we really should take it. So after a lengthy discussion we decided to to take that right and we moved back down to um, Sydney so my career was moving up um, very well and truly up the ladder uh -huh. and um, we spent another two I think it was two and a half years down in Sydney um, but we got to a point where we had to make a decision where are we going to spend the rest of our lives you right. know Particularly, I think a big driver of this was property prices in Sydney. Are we going to buy into that market? Sure. Or are we just going to continue renting out in Brisbane and so on? And we had to make a decision. And um, we made the decision that we were going to move back to Brisbane. Mm -hmm. you know, the job was great. There's no issues on that side of things. But we wanted to uh, make that decision. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, we did make that decision. And um, Pizza Hut then uh, very kindly again said, well, look, there's no position for you up there, but we'll create create one. Right. And they um, created a position which was run out of the UK, which they mm -hmm. brought across to Australia. And they said, look, you can look after the um, South African market and uh, in franchising this was, um, and also in the uh, West Australia. And open. And if you can you go and open up a restaurant in Mauritius, please? Right, OK. So I said, yes, I can do that. <laughs> so... Um, what happened was that really very much got me involved directly with franchising. Right. So that was your first uh, professional exposure to actually working within that space? In franchising, yes, right. it okay. was sure. very, very much. And um, even though Pizza Hut is a franchise business worldwide, mm -hmm. the, I was actually employed by PepsiCo. Okay. So they owned it in Australia. But right. um, the first experience was definitely going overseas and looking after WA as well okay. in franchising. Uh -huh. And so uh, what eventually uh, led you to leave Pizza Hut? 
Well, I think that um, one of the things was that, you know, the travel was, I, I ran this for a couple of years, and the travel was really quite demanding. Um, and I, I thought, look, I, I want to, the, op the opportunities were really to go and live in Asia, really, mm -hmm. for a career advancement. Mm -hmm. That's what it came down to. And I thought, look, we, we're settled in Australia. We, we love where we, where we are. And we really want to remain here and didn't want to move again. We'd moved to so many different houses and since we were married. And um, we wanted just to remain quite stable in that sense. And we had another child as well by then. So we had two children. We didn't really want to go another venture out uh, away from Australia. And so um, that gave me the uh, opportunity to start looking more locally. And I uh, moved into uh, a company called Leonard's, which was called Leonard's yes. Poultry Shops. Yeah. Um, and um, started. Was Bruce Meyer the CEO then? No, I employed Bruce Meyer. Oh, did you? That's I right, yeah. Got up with Bruce last week. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. Yes, no, I employed him. Right. Um, and um, so I eventually became a director of um, Lenners. I started as general manager and right. grew the business quite rapidly. Um, and um, that was a good experience, good experience of uh, learning, you know, very much how franchising operates in Australia in particular. Um, a good insight into individually owned franchises mm -hmm. with a different concept mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was a, a good experience. Mm. Yes, for those people who are listening who aren't familiar with Leonard's, uh, they essentially retail pre-prepared uh, chicken products to take and cook in your own home. And uh, when I was growing up, that was the big treat, you know, uh, mum getting something from Leonard's was a, a bit of a special occasion. <laughs> It's a very, uh, very clever franchise concept of value-adding poultry, right? And how the various cuts of the chicken, you know, uh, are used. It's, okay. it's very clever. Sure. Very clever. And so, how long were you there for? Five years. Okay. Five okay. years, and um, a, a good, uh, a good experience. Um, but uh, you know, I, I suppose I'm fundamentally ambitious, and right. you know, I, I, I wanted to move on from there, and. Um, so uh, what I ended up doing was then moving into, that's when I started up the consultancy after that. Okay. And that gave me exposure to a number of organizations who uh, um, you know, kind of wanted to engage my services directly, so put me in from a consultancy role. So one of them was Energex, another one's Parmalat, um, to actually then start getting me involved very much with their organization. In but, consulting... I mean, they're obviously big corporates rather mm, than a mm, franchise-type business. Mm. What sort of things were you consulting to them about? Um, that was very much about setting up, um, with Energex, was about setting up a franchise concept for well, them, which okay. is involved in the hot water systems, air conditioning, and uh, okay, so on. Yeah. Very dynamic time, and um, uh, so that's what I introduced that uh, franchising system for right. them. And, um, but it is, it is it's very large corporations mm -hmm. for... Um, side of things, and it's not without its own politics, sure. Um, as you can imagine, as mo most corporations do. But uh, good, good resources, lots to learn, lots mm -hmm. of techniques, and uh, the way people analyze things. And um, that was a great, great experience. But uh, then Parmalat as well were looking for a position and uh, for someone to actually drive. It surprised me, I didn't realize they were a franchised uh, organization. Okay. And um, that, uh, or then they were, I'm not sure where they are at now, but um, that was about trying to help them very much in, interesting enough, the home delivery side of their business. Right. Um, and so... The milkman. Yes, right. it was. And okay. it was, uh, it kind of was withering on the vine, I think, maybe a way of looking at it. But um, 
It was uh, a great organisation, great people, and I, I was just really trying to put some stronger systems in place and see okay. where they could uh, develop. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when um, you know, I could quite easily have seen myself um, comfortably spending many more years with Parmalat, um, as at that time was when we saw the opportunity with Home Instead. Right. And, and you mentioned when we started talking about that, that you'd gone back to study some aged care related um, professional qualifications. That's right. What, what motivated that? Because that's quite different to what you were doing at the time. Exactly. What, what it was, was that um, Sarah was involved in, in her uh, consultancy mm -hmm. with uh, the federal government in this whole space of, uh, of aged care but also health related areas and um, I thought I just really needed something that I could uh, get my teeth into it you know intellectually stimulating I really right. wanted to uh, keep uh, broadening my horizons and um, so I thought well let's see what's involved and Sarah was saying well the industry was very much seeking um, management skilled sure. personnel yeah and it's very lacking in that area and I thought well you know I've got some very good management experience mm -hmm. and um, I'm interested in that whole area I don't know why I just was mm -hmm. and so the more I then uh, I actually started the master's course through QUT and I found it fascinating to talk about health care systems around the world yeah. and health economics and all these areas were really truly challenging and mm -hmm. um, very stimulating indeed and I just loved it. And so as I got more and more into that, um, you know, that's when the homestead opportunity came up. And I thought, well, I, I kind of get this. I mm -hmm. really understand where they're coming from. And um, I couldn't, with my experience, I still couldn't relate that before I'd seen the homestead ad that, um, you know, how you can make a business out of the aged care, healthcare system. I just couldn't get it because it's so dominated in Australia by government systems. Sure. sure. And when Home Instead advertised and said, look, um, it's a franchise system which actually provides home care to seniors, and it's, it has the stimulation of really one being a business. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's also involved in areas where you have, you know, is economics is involved in it, social policy is involved in mm -hmm. it. It was, uh, and, and particularly as well, it's very real. You're mm -hmm. dealing with people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't an abstract concept. Mm -hmm. You very... Uh, um, you know, you can be very hands-on, and you can really make a difference. And mm -hmm. I thought, this is this is interesting. Um, how would it work in Australia, though? Because it wasn't a concept really which um, uh, had any sort of uh, legs at all at this mm -hmm. stage. I thought, how can you turn this into a, a real business concept in Australia? And so we both put our heads together and started uh, doing some research, finding out how home care was delivered in Australia mm -hmm. and who the main players are. And basically it came down to its government. Right. And, you know, there's, you know, people have had, you know, the more we spoke to people about home care, the more we came to realise that um, there's an opportunity here. Mm. This, you know, the focus wasn't necessarily on the client themselves. Mm -hmm. And so how long was it from initially the opportunity appearing on your radar to you actually making a commitment to proceed? Um, we, uh, when we saw the opportunity, I responded to it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then what happened was that um, we had some communications backwards and forwards with, mm -hmm. uh, with Homestead in the USA. and. Um, I think it was about six months before 
I actually got to meet somebody. I said that we got to a point where we shared a lot of information, but it got to a point where we actually have to meet. Yeah. And um, they organized um, to come to Australia as part of a um, uh, American consulate trade mission. Okay. So I had the opportunity to meet, um, meet them down in Sydney. I flew down and um, we just hit it off together straight away, right. to be honest. It's, um, it's, it's, that is the truth. We, oh, we met um, and we just uh, went for lunch and right. it just went from there, from strength to strength. And were you competing against other Australian interested parties or were you the uh, sole potential franchisor under consideration? No, well, I, I discovered that there was many other parties oh, involved right. in okay. this, which at the time they don't reveal, of course. Right. But um, you sense that's always going to be the case. Yeah. But um, no, in, in hindsight, uh, we discovered that, yes, there's a lot of other people involved in that. Right. But okay, and so you've had the, uh, the business for 11 years, and in 11 years, grown it to 24 franchises. What, what were some of the key milestones along that period uh, that really sort of you look back on and you you view as particularly key achievements that enabled you to take the business to where it is today? Yeah, the the it's it's not such like a, a measure of a financial thing or anything like that. The first key milestone I think we we hit was um, when somebody told us about who we were. Right. Because what happens is that we were seen, we had a, a, you know, a fair degree of, I suppose, adverse publicity because okay. we're a for-profit organization mm -hmm. and we're entering into a marketplace which is dominated by church, charities, not-for-profit organizations which were funded by the government. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm talking generally now, sure, but fundamentally yeah. that's the way it is. We yeah. were a for-profit organization, and moreover, um, we were seen as an American organization. Okay. And, you know, we had some very derogatory comments thrown at us, and we had some people being actually quite rude to our faces right. um, about the business, because they had a view that all we were going to do was just rip off grannies. Uh -huh. That's the way it was perceived okay. by a number of people, not by everyone, but, you know, to the extent that... Um, and are these people who are your competitors in the industry or uh, or what how, why were they why did they care well they were academics who okay. uh, I think had an ideological position okay. against um, uh, the way industry was being funded I think they expected that the government should provide for yeah. everyone okay and that this wasn't the space that for-profit organizations should be entering mm -hmm. into um, so that's one area I think there's also a number of um, people who would have seen us as a threat because Homestead is a large organisation, albeit though, as a franchise business, it's everyone there's individual owners, sure. so we're not a large corporation in that respect. Um, and so, uh, initially, we 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 faced some adverse um, publicity. Mm -hmm. But what what happened is that um, we decided that our focus was going to be on looking after whatever a client's need was. Mm -hmm. If people are going to pay because we chose deliberately not to get involved with the government system, we didn't agree with it, we thought it was very inefficient, mm -hmm. it was uh, not as, as effective and it had the wrong focus. So we, had, we decided that we were going to focus on providing services that clients and their families wanted and that they could change those services, they could change the caregiver they could change the schedules, whatever they wanted is mm. what they needed, not mm -hmm. what they were being told. Mm -hmm. This is what you've got to have. So we were really, you know, fighting in a sense uh, uh, against the tide here, 
and people wouldn't uh, really share a lot of information with us. No one, you know, it wasn't as if they um, you know, didn't like us. It was just, I think, we were an unknown quantity. Mm -hmm. But then I think it's after a year you know, when we realized, we think, you know, we thought, we've got a business here, we're growing. And um, I suppose we wanted to be more accepted by the industry we were in. Mm -hmm. And this um, reasonably senior person in the industry, I mean, we're talking to her, and she said, do you know, do you know out there, you've actually got a very good reputation. Did you know that? And we said, no, no one talks to us. <laughs> we knew we did with our clients, right. but not in the industry. Sure. And that was really a significant morale booster for us. And at that point, had you sold your first franchise yet, or are you still just doing it yourselves? No. What we did was that we wanted to uh, develop the franchise system. Mm -hmm. the, the, the office that we set up ourselves was what we still today call our pilot office. Right. And it was to ensure that we had developed the right systems in place which were replicable mm -hmm. across a franchise system. We wanted to demonstrate there is a demand for the services mm -hmm. um, and that we could then replicate this in a franchise business model. Right. Now this is very much as well, um, early days, this is, you know, I, I call it pioneering stuff mm -hmm. because the market was still completely dominated by government funded services. Mm -hmm. And everyone would say to us, why was anyone going to use your service? Because the government pays for it. Right. You know, why would they pay, I can't remember what the fee was at the time, $30 or so, whatever we were charging, when they get it free from the government? Yeah. So we're competing in that kind of market. So we needed to get this business. Um, That's a little bit like saying, why would you send your children to a private school when you can just send them to a public school for free? Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It's like that. People want choice. And I think the other thing about it was that what we needed to, we needed to do to remain relevant and to have a point of difference was to provide a quality service. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what we've been focusing upon through our business model, right the way through to the training of our mm -hmm. caregivers and so on and so forth. Quality and flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's the, the word we use very frequently is about choice. Right. And that choice didn't exist in the government system. Mm -hmm. You couldn't choose when you wanted your services. You couldn't choose to change the caregiver. You couldn't choose the time someone started, um, came to your house. You know, you couldn't choose to have services on the weekend instead of a Friday. Mm -hmm. you, that was, in generally speaking, I know this, some things are different, but for the most part, that was the way the industry was mm -hmm. set up. And we were able to bring that choice. Okay. So you're going for a year, couple of years, you're getting some positive reinforcement back from the market. Well, what happened from there? Um, we then um, um, had our first franchise, set up our first franchise. <clears throat> and this happened to be, this is how things work in life. This happened to be from uh, an old employee of mine, uh, dating back to the Pizza Hut days, right. would you believe. And he was looking, we, we didn't really keep in touch that much, but we knew we were still around. Mm -hmm. And he contacted me and he said, uh, I'm looking for a reference. Right. There's a job I'm going for and they need some references and I just wanted to catch up with you again and say, can you give me a reference? And I said, of course I can. And he said, uh, we started talking about what we're doing now. So I mentioned that we just um, started Homestead Senior Care here um, in Australia. And he said, that sounds interesting. That mm. sounds really interesting. And... Um, then I said, well, look, this is where we're at. We haven't started franchising yet, but we're about to very shortly. And uh, he came back and said, look, um, I've spoken to a, you know, a, a good friend of mine. We're seriously interested in starting the first franchise. And um, so uh, 
Um, one thing led to another, and he and his partner became the first franchise owners, and they still own us today. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Whereabouts are they? They're on the Gold Coast. Okay, right. Yeah. And so um, I did, uh, I've got some questions to ask you around your philosophies of leadership and business ownership and so on. So but before we get to that, um, so how, uh, how quickly did this um, rollout happen, one franchise to now 24? Yeah, the way the the rollout happened was basically, um, I suppose slowly is the best way of putting it, mm -hmm. but careful, it wasn't, we weren't out there to sell franchises, mm -hmm. this is not what we do. Um, we're out there to talk about the business that we have, the business model, and if people are interested in that, that's fine, but we're not there to just sell a franchise, sure. it's far from what we've done. And so what we found is that people have started coming to us. Mm -hmm. we, we don't advertise in, a, in any meaningful sense. We're on a couple of websites and mm -hmm. that's it. And what happened was that one thing led to another and someone else would then contact us and say, I've heard about this franchise. I saw it, you know, we got a little bit of PR in the early days and some of it not so good and some of it good. Um, and we were interested in knowing what's, uh, what you do. Mm -hmm. So we probably ended up, I think, in the first year, one, the second year may have been two, and the third year, four, and then four, and it's kind of been a little bit like that, threes, okay. twos, and fours each year. Right, yeah. Um, because what's important about this is I'm very mindful that um, we're at the very early stages of the life cycle right. of this model mm -hmm. or this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and to try and bring into a market which is dominated by a government funding, um, it's really, we're attracting a lot of early adopters, mm -hmm. I think is the best way In of putting it. In terms of the franchisees or the actual clients? Clients. Right, okay. The market is very much about that. So in turn, because of that, you know, it's been a steady but very strong growth upwards in our mm -hmm. business. Um, what it's been though is that it is also attracting early adopter right. or um, franchise owners sure. who see an opportunity, who have mm -hmm. their own vision um, and want to be involved in something which is extremely meaningful mm -hmm. that they can, uh, they can uh, you know, lead themselves. Well I suppose you only have to look at the fact that it's an ageing population and also that the people who are getting to the age now of potentially being your clients I mean, my grandmother grew up in the war and she was very English and stiff upper lip and would never complain or... So she was in a facility which was drab and unexciting and she uh, um, you know, didn't make waves because that wasn't the thing to do. But I mean, people of our ages are getting older now. We want much... Uh, we want a much nicer lifestyle up to the point uh, wherever possible. So it, it, there are great indications that your business is just going to thrive uh, in, in what's happening at a sort of a macro level. Yeah, the, one of the things we have learned out of this is that um, ageing is very much a family dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, the, many of the clients we have right now are similar to the, um, a, you know, the sort of mindset that you've just spoken about. But what the real challenge here is apart from the client, but the real big challenge is for usually the client's family. Mm -hmm. And so what we, we do is we experience uh, a lot of um, people who we term as Cathy, 
who come to us in a very uh, distressed situation. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely mean that when I say that. This um, is the, the, the children of the... Exactly. Right, this is okay. the children of the um, family member needing support. Because yeah. very often, Kathy is um, the typically the eldest daughter. Okay. Um, she will probably have children she's looking after. She's got parents she's also got to look after. We kind of call it the sandwich generation. Right. And um, they're under enormous pressure to juggle mm-hmm. these balls in the air. And um, Plus I, often be working full time. Exactly. Yeah. All these sort of challenges that they have. Mm-hmm. And they suddenly, and, and moreover, they often find themselves in a crisis situation where mum's had a fall or mum's had a problem or whatever yeah. the case, or dad or whatever the case may be. And they're the ones who have to deal with it. And they suddenly find themselves in, what do I do? Mm. Where do I go? Who do I see? How can I get this fixed? So a lot of the people that we um, provide services for have come to us in a uh, very challenging environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're, our role is to basically say to Cathy, you've come to the right place. We can fix this. We can fix that. And, and genuinely, there will you know, many, many times they're in tears. They're mm-hmm. completely distraught. And, mm-hmm. and I, so I do not exaggerate when I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by far from everyone, but you know, we have had many people in those circumstances. Sure. It's not fun. And so that is all part of this family dynamic that, to a large extent, we're not only looking after the, the client, of course, but we're looking after the family's needs mm-hmm. and also providing a lot of support to the family of how they can also look after their own family, their own parents. Okay. So you provide some uh, resources that they can draw on in terms of basically equipping themselves for what they need to do as well. Yeah, we do. This is something we're um, extremely proud of and we we consider it in a sense of part of our thought leadership, as we call it, um, the strategy we have there, which is to provide some very friendly resources Mm -hmm. so that the family members can use and there's a whole range of areas that we've covered Um, you know one of them is we refer to as the 40 70 rule Mm -hmm. you know if you're in your 40s or thereabouts and your parents are in their 70s or thereabouts it's probably time to have a conversation with them and one of the great things that came out of the research when this was being written was that um, we have this situation where family members um, parents still talk to their children <coughs> as if they are still children. I know, yes, and, I, I know that, all about that. <laughs> and so, you know, what we're saying is that you need to start talking as siblings, not right. this parent-child relationship. Yeah, right. And so it, you need to start talking as adults together. And so there's some strategies in there about, you know, if dad's had a, you know, a bit of a, a knock on the side of the car, you know, and his mum's getting forgetful and so on. There's some of the things that science they should be looking out for. So this is one of the resources. And there's another one we've done recently, which was called the Home Care Solution Guide, which is to explain the whole home care system. Right. In a very simple way, because it isn't easy. But we're trying to produce materials, there's another one on dementia and arthritis and so on. These are some of the things we can explain in a very simple way. Right. Um, Rather than it being written from a a kind of government type of perspective or an intensive perspective, Mm -hmm. it's a practical solutions for family members. And we're very proud of that because we produce thousands upon thousands of these, and they're all free. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on our website, but we actually produce the booklet. And we have people from all over the country you know, asking us for these resources. 
Um, and I, I, thousands upon thousands of these go out um, on a you know, uh, every year. Probably about twenty thousand a year wow. we distribute. It's all free. Fantastic. And so what I'm interested in is. Uh uh, you worked within the hospitality industry. You then uh, you, you're exposed to working within large corporates. You're then working as a consultant. You've now built this very successful franchise business. What do you think are some of your attributes as a leader that have carried you through and enabled you to achieve the sort of success that you have in your career? I think central to this is about. Um, relationships with other people mm-hmm. um, as much as the the technical skills and understanding PL and counts and things like that are important or whatever um, one of the things I learned with PepsiCo was very clearly they had a they had a great program which was how to manage people how to re- relate have relationship with people if someone's not performing correctly you know how can you improve their performance mm-hmm. how can you coach people and one of the things that I think I picked up from there was there actually is a way you can interact with other people in a meaningful way. And it provided a framework to understanding my relationship with other people. And that has been, I think, probably one of the strongest things I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. And I think that really works well in hospitality because it is all about interacting either with the, uh, the people who come into the restaurant, your clients, or it could be your customers, or it could be with all the staff that you're working with, mm-hmm. which vary from the kitchen staff, are very different to those who are on the wait, waiting sure. floor, you know. And so I think that has been central, and dealing with lots of people all the time, mm-hmm. um, I think has prepared me well for um, taking it into whatever business environment I'm in, but particularly as well now um, in an environment where we're dealing with people's lives. That is the core of what mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely essential to what we do. So knowing how to interact with family members, with the people that we're networking with out in the industry, with the clients themselves, and having that empathy and understanding um, you know, is really key, I think, to um, you know, the style that I bring to uh, our organization um, and I think it's, it's it, we, the, the, the stimulating part about it is that we're actually doing business but we're doing it in a very real world through that relationship mm-hmm. that is central to it so it's building that trust with our staff members our caregivers in particular um, and with the family members is central to what we do okay. absolutely central and what about uh, going from being an employee I mean albeit a very senior employee to being uh, at least initially a very small business owner what were some of the things that you needed to change or to adopt in order to make that transition um, successfully I think it's really a mindset that when you are running your own business it is a, a one individual business it can be a little bit like well I I'm the manager still mm-hmm. of the business and you can look at it from that point of view but as the business begins to grow you realize that you actually still you, you need to move this business forward mm-hmm. and you're responding in broader areas so you're not only responding on 
know, sales or margins or marketing. You're having to respond on everything. So mm -hmm. the buck stops with you. So legislation, I think, becomes much more important. You, you, you don't have people in your organization to turn to, right. such as lawyers or your accountants, and say, can you just give me some advice on this, sure. please? It doesn't come so easily. So, so that's one of the things initially that you start to take a much broader perspective on on everything that's going around. I mm -hmm. think politically as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, politics has become an important area. We're tuned into the politics mm -hmm. of um, of uh, you know of the moment. I suppose um, your industry is a bit of a hot potato, isn't it? Well, it it, it is, and it can be influenced very quickly mm -hmm. by a change in policy, very very quickly. Um, the good thing, of course, is that. It's fundamentally a bipartisan issue. It's mm -hmm. one of the very few areas that the um, parties agree upon mm -hmm. the direction that this industry is taking, which is mm. which is particularly good. Um, but uh, it's one of the things as we've learned is that you tune into a whole range of areas. Um, but when I think it comes towards being a franchise business as well, which when we moved into becoming a franchisor, you you have a far greater sense of responsibility to those people who have chosen to put their trust in you. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a very important relationship that I have with our franchise owners mm -hmm. because it isn't like we sell a product and that's the end of the relationship. Sure. It's an ongoing relationship. Mm. You've got a sense of responsibility for their success. Very much so yeah. and very much in a marketplace where it is uh, as I say, it's at its early stages of the life cycle. Mm -hmm. So we need to really nurture those owners, support them, um, you know, respect that they've um, made an investment for the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm very pleased to say that that investment is paying off. Right. Um, you know, that's really important. And so when you we speak now to the future, you know, what, what's the future for you and for home instead? If we were sitting down and having this conversation in 10 years, you know, crystal balling, what would you like it to look like? Um, I mentioned earlier about um, change in the face of ageing. This mm -hmm. is one of the things we, we see ourselves. This is, in a sense, part of our, our vision, which is we, we talk about uh, globally by 2025, uh, we want to be one of the most admired global companies, and that includes Australia, of course, mm -hmm. most admired global companies by actively changing the face of ageing. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is that to take, we're wanting to take, uh, look at ageing through a different prism. For many people, ageing has been seen through the prism of, um, of fear, of loneliness, of isolation, of I'm at the end stages of you know, my life type thing. And what we're wanting to say, now this absolutely isn't the case. Mm -hmm. We want to bring hope, we want to bring companionship, we want to be, people, be more fulfilled in their lives and as they age, and value. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what I said earlier about our focus has always been upon choice mm -hmm. it's been upon flexibility and you know for many people say oh can i if i don't if i want a different caregiver can i do that we say of course you can this is right. it's, it's, it's it's all about you right in what you want in your life um and also in and the the knock-on effects that has for the family member mm -hmm. and because we talk about our mission as enhancing the lives of older aging adults and their families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this isn't just a, a, a very narrow view on what ageing is about. It's about giving everyone the opportunity to fulfil themselves as much as, uh, as much as we can help them to do so mm -hmm. as, they, as they get older. And so 
what that's what we're really trying to do and that is a challenge in itself is well what does it really mean well we, we're still working our way through that but I think the first step has been to start to open up the perception by families mm -hmm. and seniors that you know they can now control their own destiny mm. and we are a vehicle to assist them in mm. that and I'll give you one small example we um, have offices all around the world and um, we had a client who's in um, in South Australia and he wanted to travel the world but he said that he had an accident he said I don't think I'll be able to do that anymore right and so where did you want to go well I wanted to go to the States and I wanted to head over to Europe but I, I just can't do that anymore and what we did, our owner down in South Australia set it up. He said, look, I can organize for our caregivers to take you from one office to another, anywhere you wanted to go in the US and Europe. And so we organized um, for him to fly from um, Australia across to the US. When he got to the US, he was met by the local homestead office right. with the caregiver there. They took him off, they took him to the hotel, they looked after him, whatever his needs were. They take them to local sightseeing tours because of the great thing is you're dealing with a local person. Sure. You know? And so then he went from one city to another city in the US, then to another city, and then he flew from the US across to the UK. Then he was met there by a caregiver, the same thing happened. And um, he came back to Australia, having done a tour of um, UK, and I think he may have gone across to Switzerland, I'm not certain on that. But, um, and then he came back to Australia and he said, I don't know how you do it. Right. Do you, how do you clone these people? Right. And that was, um, I think, a small example of how we believe we can make such a difference in right. people's lives. Whereas I suppose a lot of those people, their holiday option is get on a cruise. <laughs> Where they can, uh, you know, be uh, within a sort of a fairly confined environment and not really get to see much of anything, but uh, having been on a cruise, uh, there's a lot of people like that on cruises, isn't there? So, oh, uh, oh that's fantastic. Okay, so from an altruistic point of view, I understand, um, you know, your your heart's desires. What about from a commercial point of view? Uh, where would you like to see the business grow to? Well, uh, we would like to see ourselves at the very least double. Um, right. You know, what the, the, the current situation is that um, in Australia, right now, there would be, um, uh, by 2020, there's going to be, for the first time in history, more people over the age of 65 than there are under 14. Wow. That's the first time in history. So mm -hmm. it gives perspective about how this whole sure. marketplace, or how in society, should I say, mm -hmm. is changing. And so the opportunities are really quite enormous. Um, and you know, when I first started the business, I used to think, crikey, when I've got 15 caregivers, why, goodness, we're really going places. Right. Well, now I think we should probably at least triple the size of our, our um, franchise system over the, um, over the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. But you can't force this. No. You, know, it's, it, you can't just, you've got to get the demand and people have got to understand who you are and want those, those kind of services we provide. So I see that happening very much mm -hmm. um, over the next um, you know, 10 years or mm -hmm. so. And this is all part of what we're working towards for our, um, our intent in, by 2025. So I would see that happening. And it's attracting, one of the things for me is attracting the right people mm -hmm. to our system. That's what gives us satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, people who share the similar values to us, which is respect for older people, mm -hmm. um, integrity in what we do. 
um, and building that trust with, with them. So that's one of the things at a, a, a higher level that um, we see ourselves trying to achieve. But I think as well, um, I think for an industry as well, it would give us great satisfaction, which we drive for an industry which overall can provide a high quality of service um, and care to clients um, across the nation mm. um, is what we would like to see as well because we've come from a different perspective than the existing industry and that's uh, important to us to see those sort of changes. Fantastic. Well, before we wrap it up because we're running out of time, but, um, is there anything that we haven't discussed today or anything that you'd like to share with our audience of people who are potentially aspiring business owners or uh, very senior executives within their own right any, any lessons that you've learned during your life that we haven't already discussed that you might uh, add now as value to them? I think one of the things that we've learned, or I've learned, is that starting the business is um, full on, it's completely absorbs you, 110, absorbed me and my wife 110% of our, our time. But we loved it. Right. And so it was just a way of life. Sure. You know, it, uh, um, it was just what we do. And I think that that's what happens initially. But pretty soon after that, we had to start moving into a stage of, well, we know this is going to work and you're very, very operational. Mm -hmm. But to move it into an area where you are moving from that just pure operations into actually begin to manage it. And then I think we've really now moved beyond that into a, what we call our leadership phase. Right. And so, and that's where, you know, moving from being an employee to being an owner, mm -hmm. it's when you, you, we found ourselves have gone through those stages where we're very much at that leadership phase where we, we're demonstrating leadership to our owners and wanting them to be demonstrating leadership sure. to their yeah. teams in their own franchise and in their own local community. And I think that having the strategies to deal with that as we do now in terms of you know organizational leadership and leadership for the way we um, look after our caregivers and train our caregivers and make them want to belong to a very important culture mm -hmm. that we have um, and that thought leadership we've already spoken about I think is has been key to the growth of our business because um, having a, a structure in place having the right culture in our business which comes from those relationships of trust mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, has been I think key to the success that we've managed to achieve so far. Mm -hmm. Well Martin I'd like to thank you for uh, attending and joining with me on the Arate podcast today. For those people who are listening we'll put into the show notes links to uh, Home Instead and other information that they can uh, learn more about your services etc. But for now have a fantastic afternoon. It's been a pleasure Richard thank you. Well, I trust you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week and I look forward to catching up with you again on an Arate podcast in the future. In the meantime, have a fantastic day.